would have thought lithium companies could be some of the fastest growing growth companies, but they are. John, Sprott has over $20 billion in assets under management, and that's allocated between many different assets, gold, silver, uranium, and battery metals. And I want to discuss all of these asset classes. But given that gold and silver is the largest portion of your AUM, why don't we start right there? And I'm just curious, given what's happening with the global economy, with interest rates, inflation, what type of flows are you seeing in gold? Yeah, it's been a weird year, obviously, for just about all the asset classes, uh, particularly for gold in the last, say, 10 months, 12 months, where it, you know, it had a bit of a swoon last year and it's been clawing its way back, recently hit 2,000 uh, an ounce again, which is great. And we're starting to see some flows back in. We're starting to see more interest coming back into the, into the gold sector. But I would say it's very muted you know, relative to the strength in the price. And what we see broader, if you take a step back and say, well, where's the money going? We constantly want to know where the money is going going into money market and fixed income funds. They are getting the lion's share of the capital flows right now. And that's everything from retail to institutional. And why? Well, all of a sudden, you know, you're getting 5% on risk-free money or 7 or 8% on bonds. And that obviously has not been available to investors for many, many years. And that in the short term is attracting a lot of the investor interest. One of the things that really surprises me is the fact that even though gold is at or near all-time highs, the gold stocks are not participating in this rally at all. And many of them are down on the year, including a lot of the large producers. And a lot of the producers are even trading at a discount to their NAVs. Why do you think that is? Why isn't there more interest in these gold equities? I think people generally are very nervous about the economy. Uh, I talk to a lot of institutional investors, and many of them are in a very risk-off mode right now. They're just not sure whether the Fed is going to continue to break things, whether we're going to have a recession, and, and, and whether that's going to pull this equity market down with it. And, and until we get some more certainty, I, I think investors are going to continue to sit on the sidelines in cash, making 5% uh, while they wait. And that's really, I think, taken a lot of interest out of many different pockets. If you look at the broad uh, benchmarks, equity benchmarks, they all look great this year, right? But it's really, uh, the returns are being driven by about eight stocks. And if you don't own those eight stocks, the returns are either flat or down for the year. So it's very misleading in terms of what's driving uh, the equity returns so far in 2023. You raise a very good point because it is very misleading. The NASDAQ is up 30% on the year. The S&P is up 15% on the year. You have a number of stocks like Facebook that's up, I believe, 150% on the year. NVIDIA is up uh, a like amount. It's over a trillion dollars. What's it going to take to get investors back into gold and silver? Well, I think uh, the number one thing is the Fed. The Fed has really sucked all the oxygen out of the room for investors. They've really created so much uncertainty with their hawkish tone and just the, you know, the, the ongoing saga of are they done? Are they pausing? Are they pivoting? Uh, until that happens, I think people are going to sit on the sidelines. It's frustrating because for many of these uh, sectors and commodities, they have very positive fundamentals, very good long-term growth stories, but people are not focused on the long-term right now. They're focused very much quarter to quarter in terms of how their portfolios are doing. And, and a lot of investors are just opting to sit on the sidelines. I want to move on now and discuss uranium. It is doing very well. The long-term contracting price is 
doing very well on the year. The spot uranium price is up 15% on the year. And I'm just kind of curious what you're seeing in terms of flows into these products. Yeah, I mean, uranium continues to be quite resilient, the commodity itself. And I say that because many commodity prices this year have had pretty significant corrections, whether it's uh, lithium or nickel or cobalt. We've seen a lot of corrections in, in prices this year, whereas uh, uranium is up about 20% for the year. And why is that? Well, it's obviously being driven by the utilities. The utilities are finally starting to, to rebuild their inventory positions, and they're buying a lot of uranium. Last year, we saw the highest amount of uranium contracted in 10 years at about 125 million pounds. So far this year, we're at 107 million. So that's important to us because we want to know if we're getting back to replacement rate purchasing. And last year, even at 125 million, was below annual replacement rate for utilities. This year, we might, we might just hit it. But there are still pockets of the world, to much to our uh, confusion, I would say, that are still not buying lots of uranium. For example, the U.S. utilities actually last year purchased le less uranium than the year before, which is odd given the price appreciation we saw last year, given all the uncertainty and the war and threat of sanctions against Russia. You would think utilities would be, be more aggressively buying. We think they're finally starting to move, and it is reflected in the year-to-date numbers. John, the, you made mention of the fact there's a, there's a lot of interest coming from utilities, and we see that both in the long-term contracting price and also in the spot price. But when you look at the equities, we're not seeing that same sort of interest from investors. Why do you think that is, even though we're seeing the spot price move higher? The number one challenge we see is that the, the depth of the liquidity amongst many of these uranium stocks are just not there yet for many of the larger institutions to get involved in. We often talk to institutions that are very interested in buying physical uranium. Uh, they're very interested in buying some of the large cap mining stocks and some of the, you know, the late stage development companies. But these smaller companies, um, they're, it's hard for these big institutions to get positioned in them. They just have so many different risk management and liquidity parameters right now that prevent them from being invested. So we see in our clientele a much greater skew to institutional investors in the physical uranium trust and much higher skew to retail investors in the uranium mining suite of ETFs that we have in both uh, the US and Europe. John, I want to ask about the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust or SPOT now. It is trading at a discount or it has been trading at a discount, which would imply that there's not much interest in that product from investors. Maybe you can just touch on that and tell us what you're seeing or hearing from investors. And we obviously have a very large investor base in that product. We're not seeing a lot of selling by that investor base, but we're not seeing a lot of buying either. And I think that's why we've, uh, we've had a discount for the last few months. We were obviously, we were at a premium earlier in the year. We were pretty active in terms of buying uranium. But what's interesting to us is that even though we haven't been overly active in the market, I think the news flow and the, and, uh, and the utilities basically buying uranium has really been beneficial for the sector. So while we haven't been overly active in the last few months, the utilities have been I think, increasingly active in terms of reloading their inventory. John, you and your team are excellent at creating new products for investors to capitalize on new investment themes. And one of the themes that we've seen in the last couple of years is anything to do with energy transition. And you have created some new products to, for investors to invest in. Can you tell us about these new products that you offer? 
Yeah, this was really uh, built on on the success of um, the Uranium Trust and, and, and a lot of the conversations we were having with institutional investors. Two years ago, we realized it wasn't just about uranium. They were interested in many other commodities and, and mining sectors that have a role to play in energy transition. And, you know, mining and, and metals, they're, they're very technical subjects, as you know. A lot of investors do not want to do the work on individual companies. They're very comfortable looking for trends and themes and just buying a basket of companies. And so that's where the ETFs um, are really uh, helpful tools for investors to get, you know, diversified company exposure within, within a thematic. What we've noticed over the years at Sprott, given our expertise in metals and mining, is that some of these offerings out in the marketplace are not the most well thought out. We dissect them all and, and we can see some of the flaws. And I'll, guess, I'll just give you a practical example, but you know, we just dissected a, a, a competitor copper ETF for an institutional client. And we said to them, like, you know, this, co this copper miners ETF is really only 58% of the exposure is in copper. And did you know you're getting all these other unintended consequences and like, our unintended, you know, uh, exposures to other things outside of copper. And they were, they were completely blown away by that. So the, my point being is that you really need to know what you're doing in the mining sector to, to build these products, even if they're passively, you know, index based, because picking the securities, understanding what exposures you get and some of the unattended exposures, I think is very important. So our team here has done a lot of work in partnership with the NASDAQ, and we built a suite of different indexes that you can uh, participate in everything from lithium producers to nickel producers, copper, junior copper producers, junior uranium miners. And then obviously we've got the, uh, the senior or the all cap uh, uranium miners ETF and, and the uranium trust. So, you know, we have a nice suite of energy transition related ETFs that uh, are available not only in the United States, but also in Europe uh, through a partnership we have with Han ETF. Uh, we launched an energy transition materials ETF there as well as uh, our uranium miners ETF is, is, uh, is offered for, to European investors. And what's really driving the whole battery metals sector is this growth of EVs. It's gone from 3 million in global sales in 2020 to 10 million in 2022. Are you seeing a lot of flows into these products because of this growth in EVs? Yeah, we're definitely starting to see flows come into the fund. Uh, I think more importantly, we're getting the right kinds of investors uh, reaching out to ask and asking the right questions. And I say that because this is a relatively new category. If you think about, you know, Tesla, I mean, it was the only EV company available to investors just a few years ago. And if you think about their sales, how small they were four or five years ago. So as this, as these industries start to grow, EVs and uh, and the supply chains around them for production of uh, of battery cells and all the infrastructure, if you think about the charging and all of the things, um, it is attracting investors because they're seeing it as a growth sector. And in a market environment where it's been muted in terms of a lot of companies' earnings and revenues have been pretty soft the last couple of years, um, you know, this is kind of a bright spot. Who would have thought lithium companies could be some of the fastest growing growth companies? But they are because the amount of production that uh, that they are delivering right now and the price increases that you've seen in some of these commodities the last three, four years has really turned these things into growth engines. And that's attracting uh, investor interest, I would say. And what about the fact that the lithium price has been very volatile here in the last few quarters? I believe it peaked out around $80,000 a ton in Q4 of 2022, and it's fallen to anywhere 
35 to $40,000 a ton here in the first half of the year. Has that impacted your flows at all? Yeah, I think that kind of price volatility reflects a very uh, new and fast-growing industry. You know, if you think about the copper business, for example, I mean, we've been mining copper for thousands of years. It's a big established market with very established supply chains. If you think about the lithium market, I mean, most of the lithium in the world today is produced by a handful of companies and countries. So it is very uh, small, is growing quickly, is obviously uh, had to deal with uh, incredible growth last uh, year in EV sales. But you know, if you take a step back and you look at where the price of lithium was, say in 2020, at around 17,000 a metric ton, it went all the way to 80,000 a metric ton, which nobody, including ourselves, thought was sustainable. That was clearly a supply shortage and squeeze. And it obviously corrected all the way down to 25,000 and we're back to 42,000 a metric ton. So it's, it's been very volatile. But I think you know, the companies are still at 42,000 a metric ton, are incredibly well positioned to make profits here. And the price is, and the demand is only going up, we think, over time. There is a lot of EV demand uh, forecast as, as the world kind of transitions away from uh, internal combustion engines. And lithium is kind of the one mineral that people are the most concerned about in terms of, are we going to have enough? And the reason why is because most of the future supply that the world is, is going to need is coming from greenfield production. So these are, these are either hard rock or brine deposits that are not yet in production. So a lot is hinging on bringing these assets to market will really dictate, you know, that lithium price. So it's going to be volatile, but I think the demand story is, is very intact. John, you and your team spend a lot of time on the road marketing, North America, South America, Europe. What are you hearing from investors when you meet with them? What product are they asking most about? Would it be precious metals, battery metals, or uranium? We see a lot of interest in energy transition materials, for sure. It's a global set of investors, a lot of family offices, institutions, hedge funds. They're very intrigued by this story because they view it as a long-term secular growth story. There's not many things you could point to and say, hey, this sector is going to grow for the next 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years. And I think if the world is serious about hitting some of these net zero uh, targets in 2050, 2060, the amount of uh, uh, CapEx and infrastructure investment that is going to have to happen to support that is enormous. So investors are basically following the money. And when you have uh, the European Union, uh, even the Canadian government, and the U.S. Uh, government flashing all this money uh, in front of companies to crowd in private capital with public capital. It's a, it's a very powerful investment signal. I mean, just last week, the Department of Energy in the United States extended a $9 billion loan to Ford for EV production. And that's just one of like countless announcements that we follow between OEMs or different Korean uh, battery, maker com uh, battery ma making companies that are announcing plants in Canada, the United States, around Europe. And so investors are seeing the shift, they're seeing the capital, they're seeing the financial incentives, they're seeing the regulatory policy uh, incentivizing uh, these investments and they wanna be where the money's going. So I would say energy transition. On the flip side, I think gold always has a place in people's portfolios. They look at it as an anchor type of investment. We've definitely seen a lot of capital come into gold the last three years. It's obviously slowed down the last 12 months, but we've seen a huge uptick in, uh, in physical gold. Our, 
our physical gold trust is is a little over six billion dollars right now. So we we've seen huge capital inflows over the last three years. Sprott is always involved in the creation of new products that capitalize on various investment themes. What new products can we expect from Sprott in the coming months? Yeah, well, this uh, energy transition uh, theme is not going away. Um, it's going to be very volatile quarter to quarter, but we think it's going to be a multi-decade transition. And so we're, we're constantly looking at the market, the landscape, and, and trying to figure out are there gaps that investors are interested in that we could bring our knowledge to bear? You know, we don't really want to be a, we're not a, uh, we're not a fun supermarket. We're very selective around what we do. We definitely think there are more products to bring to market, particularly around physical commodities, but we need to find, uh, we need to wait for better market conditions. You know, many of these products um, need IPOs to, to get them off the ground. And we're just not in any kind of an IPO uh, market environment right now. So we're we're monitoring you know the conditions, but uh, it's it's hard to say what what what's imminent right now. Well, John, that was a great update on what's happening within your various products. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, and great that you were able to come in our office and uh, do this face to face. 